Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. Thanks, Matt. Well, scripture reading for today comes from Romans 3. It's just a couple chapters before the passage that I had read um, just a little bit ago. Romans 3, we'll start in verse 20, and I'm going to read all the way through 28. Romans 3, 20 through 28. We believe that uh, the Apostle Paul is the one who wrote these things, but he was writing them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, these words come to us today with authority, with the same kind of authority as if Jesus himself were speaking. So let's hear together the word of Christ. Romans 3, beginning in verse 20. For by the works of law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, there was uh, this like face app going around social media, and Graham like filtered all of our staff photos through it. My favorite one was was Matt Papa. I think we've got a picture <laughs> of Matt here. Um, he looks great, and uh, he kind of reminded me. Let's keep the picture up just for a second. He kind of reminded me of Mickey from. Uh, the movie Rocky, or from the Rocky movies, you know what I'm talking about? Mickey doesn't have a beard, but, you know, I hope that Matt is still leading worship for us in 30 years, and I can just see him up there saying, like, you're singing like a bunch of bums, and so, um, but anyway, it made me think about uh, that classic movie. Some of you guys probably haven't seen Rocky, uh, which is a shame. Go home and watch it today, but it's, it's, a, it's a classic. Uh, of course, it, it tells the story of this this guy from the streets of Philadelphia uh, who makes his way to the very top of the prize-fighting world. And the, the first movie is about this, this great bout that he has with the greatest boxer in the world, who, who actually had never been defeated. And not only had he not been defeated, no one had even gone the distance with him, and his name was uh, Apollo Creed. But one of the great things about Rocky, is even opposed to a lot of you know, movies these days or sports movies these days, is... It's kind of a quiet movie. There, there's, a, there's a lot of moments in the movie where you can actually stop and think. And one of those, Rocky, um, it's right before the fight, and he goes into the arena, and his picture, his picture is up there in this huge stadium. His picture is up there, and it's, you know, it's Rocky Balboa, the Italian stallion. And he looks at it, and you can just kind of feel, I mean, this is this guy that's come from nothing. He's got nothing going on in his life. And all of a sudden, his picture, his big picture is, is going to be shown in front of all these 
people. And it's just kind of one of these overwhelming moments. He goes back home and sits down on his bedside with um, his wife, Adrian. And he says to her, you know, Adrian, it doesn't matter if I win or lose. I just want to go the distance. No one's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I do, then I'll know that I'm not just some bum from the neighborhood. I don't know when it happened for you, but there, there was a moment in your life where you began to really identify with this. It probably wasn't boxing for most of us. But there was something that, that we knew that if we did, we would prove ourselves. We wouldn't just be a bum. We wouldn't just be a nobody. We, we would be somebody. We, we would justify our existence. I know that I'm someone because I've done this. Or I know that I'm someone because I want to do this and I'm going to do this. There's another movie, Chariots of Fire. And, and uh, again, another older movie. If you haven't seen it, you go watch it. It tells the story of these Olympic runners. And in one scene, this is not even kind of the main guy in the movie, but it's Harold Abrahams. And it's right before he's about to run the 100 meters for the 1924 Olympics. And he has this great line in the movie he says this, he says, and now in one hour's time, I will be out there again, and I will raise my eyes and look down that lonely corridor, four feet wide, with ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. If you were with us last week, uh, we started a sermon series, uh, and we're calling this sermon series Ordo Salutis. And if you've never heard that word, it's a Latin phrase that uh, became popular in the 16th century, uh, but it's the order of salvation. How does salvation happen? As Christians, we talk about that, being saved, knowing God through salvation. We, we, we celebrate our salvation, and, and really what, what Ordo Salutis is, is this idea of all that's really happening uh, in someone's salvation, when someone is reconciled back to God, as we just read, when someone finds their peace with God, is made right before God. And there's a lot of different things that we could be talking about. Last week, if you were here, we talked about this idea of regeneration or the new birth. Some of y'all may have heard that phrase, to be born again. And, and we said that the new birth or regeneration is, is when our spirit comes alive to who God is. And we see our sin and we see our need for a Savior. Well, this week I want to talk about uh, kind of the next item in the order of salvation, which is justification. And this, this idea, in terms of our salvation, is so important. In fact, Luther, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that justification is the central doc doctrine of Christianity. And that on the doctrine of justification, the church either stands or falls. And so, we couldn't be having a more important conversation today. I'm really glad that you're here. And as I said last week in this whole kind of sermon series, I really want to be clear uh, and help you understand what these things mean and why these things are so important to the Christian faith, really more than I want to be inspirational. If you're inspired a little bit, that's great. But, but my goal here is really clarity. And again, there's a lot of places that we could look. Um, Romans 5 that I read earlier is an amazing passage to understand justification. But I, I want to look at this passage here in, in Romans chapter 3, and, and there's three things that I, I want to kind of hopefully lift out of the passage for you. There's more there than I'm going to lift out today, but three things that I can hopefully talk about in the time that we have. First of all, the problem of justification, 
Secondly, the way to justification. And then lastly, the result of our justification. So the best way to understand, to begin understanding the word justification, um, is to, to understand kind of the word. It, it, it comes from the Greek dikaios, which it's the root word for the, it's also the root word for the word righteousness, right? So these, it's kind of the same word, dikaios, justification, righteousness. And, and it really helps you understand what justification means. It's to be right. It's to achieve righteousness. And, and righteousness uh, as an idea is really this. It's, it's an acceptable performance record. Or, uh, or you could say this way, a validating performance record. You are righteous. You have done what you're supposed to do. You have been validated. What you've done is acceptable. Uh, if you want to get a job, what do you do? You submit a resume. What are you saying? You're saying, I've done the things that I need to do to be acceptable for this job. I am validated by this sheet of paper, by this resume. It shows you that I've worked hard, that I've done a good job at previous jobs, that I've gotten a good education. It's a validating performance record. If you want to get into a school, you know, if you want to, for, for those of you that want to go maybe back and get a higher degree, or for any high schoolers who are trying to get into college, what do you have to do? You have to have good grades, right? You have to show the college, that you have a validating performance record, that you have done something worthy of their college. And this is really the idea of righteousness. It's a validating performance record. You have done something that is right, that is validating, that is acceptable. For Harold Abrams, it was winning a gold medal, right? It was doing something uh, acceptable. It was being the fastest man in the world. For Rocky, of course, it was going the distance with Creed. Uh, for you, you know, it may be making partner in your company. That may be your righteousness, your justification. It may be starting a successful business. Um, you know, but this is all the idea of justification or validating performance record that says now you have access to something. Now you are somebody. Now you are seen in whoever the judge's eyes, you are seen as righteous. And we do this all the time. Paige makes fun of me because I'm... I care about my uh, status with Delta Airlines. And, uh, you know, I got the credit card. I always fly Delta. And so when they call for, you know, the priority boarding for the medallion customers, I quickly walk up to the front. And, you know, Paige always makes fun of me. Under her breath, she's saying, watch out, people. Someone special's coming here. But this is... This is righteousness. This is justification. This is a validating performance record. I've earned, you know, this, you know, gold level or whatever it is, and now you guys owe me big time. We all have this sense of wanting to be justified, wanting to be righteous, and we all have the same sense before God. Um, the way I like to say this is everybody has a code, right? There's some code that you're living by, that you're following. Uh, and again, you, you may be kind of new to Christianity. You, you may not even consider yourself a Christian, but you've got a code. You've got something that you're following. You know, it may be the Ten Commandments. Um, it may be the Quran. It may be the, the dreams of your family, right? That your family said, you're going to do this and be this. And you're, you're trying to live up to that. That's your validating performance record that you're going for. Um, it may be the American dream, right? And maybe if you're a coach, right, your code's pretty easy. It's the win-loss record of your football team. But everyone has a code. Everyone is seeking justification by their code. 
In fact, if you read the book of Romans, this is really a point Paul's trying to make, that everybody's doing this, right? It's not just the Jews that are trying to live up to the law. Everybody is trying to say, my life counts. I have been righteous. I deserve something. This is the idea of justification. In fact, when when people talk about the idea of justification or or justice, we even talk about a scale because we have this idea, I'm going to do more good than bad, and therefore I am going to be justified. There's a famous parable uh, in Luke 18 that Jesus tells about two men praying. I'll, I'll read the first half of it. Jesus says in Luke 18, 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, Okay, so the teacher of the law, the other a tax collector, which would have been hated by the people, would have been seen as the lowest of the low, a betraying man, a, a sellout. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes on all that I get, right? So you can see that this common understanding, very common understanding of justification. I have done a lot of good things, right? I tithe, I fast, I do the things that I'm supposed to do, and therefore I am justified. And again, everybody is doing this. If you live in a secular city like Atlanta, it's, it's funny to me, you know, religious people look at secular people and say, I can't believe you would do that. Secular people Look at religious people and say, I can't believe you would believe that. It's wrong for you to believe that. I'm glad I'm not like them. We're justified, right? And and for so many of the people in this room, you guys are really justified. I mean, you're achievers, right? You're the the ant, right? All your friends, they were out playing in the field. But you, like the grasshopper, but you were the ant, right? You stayed in. You did your homework. You got into the good college, You know, the first year at work, everybody was messing around, but you stayed late. You worked hard. You did what you had to do, and now you're moving up the ladder, and they're not because you did what you were supposed to do. You have justified yourselves. And this is the way we think, and this is why. All of this is a lead-in to the first verse I read. For by the works of the law, by the code, by achievement, No human being will be justified in God's sight. And for people like us that have been spending a lot of time and energy justifying ourselves, you didn't hear that when I read it because you weren't really paying attention. But if you really pay attention to what Romans 3.20 is saying, it is an offensive and shocking verse. You're not going to be justified by all that. All that. It's not going to justify you in God's sight. No one is justified by the code. And this is the point that Paul's trying to make. If you read the first few verse, the first few chapters of Romans, it kind of concludes in verse 23. All have sinned. No one is righteous. No one has obeyed. No one will be justified by the law in God's sight. And there's a lot of reasons for this, but, but two things I want to talk about. There, there, there are some problems with our codes. There's some problems with these, these, these laws that we set out for ourselves, these codes that we set out for ourselves to try to justify ourselves. And two I want to talk about with you. The first problem with your code, your law, whatever it is, is that you actually aren't living up to your own code, your own standard. I was talking with the, the Wednesday morning men's group uh, that Andrew Duhon leads that meets up at uh, 
Christ coming on Wednesday mornings. But anyway, we were talking about this, this quote that I really like. It was written by a guy named Francis Schaeffer. And he's writing this back in the 70s. So um, it, it's, it's a little dated. But he says, all God would have to do to condemn us is to hang a tape recorder around our neck. Again, some of y'all don't know who, what tape recorders are. It's like the voice memo thing on your phone. Okay. So all God would have to do to condemn us is to hang a tape recorder around our neck. They recorded all of the times that we condemn others, right? So all the times that you said, he shouldn't be doing that, or she was wrong when she did that, or I can't believe anyone would behave like that. All God would have to do to condemn us is just record the things that we say that are wrong, and then at the judgment, just play back for us our own voice, our own condemnation, and see if we could even live up to our own standard. And the truth is, none of us would even live up to our own standard, much less the standard of the sinless and holy Almighty God. So who are you to stand before God with your little code that you didn't even obey? That's the first problem with self-justification. The second problem is even when we do obey the code, even when we do the thing that's really special, even when we do the thing that's really great, it never lasts. Remember, remember Harold Abrams, the guy that won 10 lonely seconds down the corridor, 10 lonely seconds. You know what he did? You know what he did in one hour's time? If you know the movie, you know. He, he won. He ran and he won. He won the gold medal. He set a world record. 10.6 seconds in the 100 meter. Harold Abrams, 1924 Olympics. Which I just think about that. Even our best efforts, they don't last. 10.6 seconds, that wouldn't even win you a high school track meet in the state of Georgia these days. In fact, the world record now is you know 9.58 seconds, a whole second faster. The problem with all of our attempts at justification is, first of all, we don't live up to them. And secondly, even when we do, even when we do the best things, even when we do the most amazing things, they don't last. So what are we supposed to do? Where is our hope? Well, that brings us to the second thing that we see in this passage, the way of justification. Look at verse 21. Now, again, if you've read verse 20, no human being will be justified by the law in God's sight. Okay, If you really believe that... And you're left as lost as it should make you to feel. Then verse 20 is one of the most, 21 rather, is one of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible. But now, the righteousness of God, the chaos, the, the justification of God, has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to this manifestation, Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So here's Paul's point here. No one is righteous. No one can be made righteous apart from the law. But there is a righteousness. There is a justification. There is a righteousness that has appeared and that is now available apart from the law to all who believe in Christ Jesus. And it's not just a good righteousness. It's not just an acceptable justification. It is a perfect righteousness. 
It is divine righteousness. It's the righteousness of God in Christ for all who believe. And this, if you really believe this, if you really felt the weight of verse 20, when verse 21 comes along, it is enormously liberating news that now we in Christ cannot just have some righteousness, but we can have perfect righteousness, a perfect record before God Almighty in the righteousness of Christ. And this is so unique. This is so strange. Every other worldview, every other religion says, do this, do this, do this, accomplish this, behave this way, achieve this thing, go after this thing, and maybe you will be justified. Christianity says that perfect, sure, finished justification is yours outside of the law through Christ. And this is such an important sermon and this is such an important thing to talk about. And the reason I'm slowing down to talk about this is there are people, there are people sitting in this room today, and you have been sitting in churches for years, and you don't understand this. And you'll be condemned because one day you'll try to stand before the Lord with your religious achievement and your Sunday school attendance record and your obedience to the Ten Commandments. And no human being will be justified before God by the law. But there is a righteousness that has been given to you and to me through faith in Christ Jesus. A perfect righteousness. Just as righteous as he is, we can be. This is so important. Let's look at the text again, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, the perfect righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, right? This is what it's talking about. It doesn't matter what your code is. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but all are also justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So this is the very simple gospel. God has created all things well and whole. But of course you know the story that sin has entered into the story. We have disobeyed God. We have disobeyed God's order. And from the beginning of time, humans have sinned and have gone their own way. And here's the deal, guys. We all keep sinning. We all keep falling outside of what God has set in place. Even though we think we're righteous or pretend to be righteous, we know deep down, we all know deep down that we have no standing before a God who is holy. And because God is totally just, and because he will make all things right, he will leave no wrong unsettled. But, this is something that Christians believe, God is also a God of mercy. God is a God of compassion. And so what he has done is he sent his son, Jesus, to live out perfect righteousness, righteousness according to the law. Jesus always obeyed the law. He always did what he was supposed to do. And he never sinned, even though he was tempted, even though he felt pain, even though he was betrayed, even though he was abandoned, even though he was lied about, abused. He had every excuse to sin, but he never sinned. He never for one moment stepped outside of God's will. He achieved righteousness. And not just righteousness, Jesus achieved all righteousness. He achieved moral righteousness, mental righteousness. He, he never had a bad thought. He, he achieved relational uh, righteousness. He, he always thought well of others. He was brave. He was wise. He was, this is perfect righteousness. 
And now it has been given for those who believe. But what Jesus got, what, what he deserved rather for his perfect righteousness was, was a reward. But what Jesus got in his life on earth was God's wrath. And this is this idea, this word here, I want to put up here as propitiation. Now, to propitiate means to ease anger and regain favor, okay? It's a very important word for the Christian life. I, I, I wasn't explaining this word until I was an adult. It's a very important word to think about. It's to, to ease anger and regain favor. Jesus was our propitiation. His death eased the anger of God, and through him and through his blood, we regain favor with God. Now, you might be thinking, hold on. God was angry at Jesus? Why was God angry with Jesus? Why, why did he need to ease the anger of God? And, and I want you to explain this to you. <laughs> There's a reason God was angry at Jesus on the cross. Because his anger was rightly pointed at us. Um, September 11th was this week. And it kind of came and went this year. Did anybody else feel like that? Like, it didn't feel like, I didn't feel like there was a lot of fanfare about it, but it's a day that, of course, I'll never forget. I was a sophomore there at Auburn and uh, walked out of my room, my little apartment there, couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was a spoof. I thought it was a movie. I, 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 I had no idea what I was looking at. Um, so Wednesday night, it was Wednesday, and I took the kids out for ice cream. Paige has her little Bible study on Wednesday night. Took the kids out for ice cream, took them to the duck pond. Matt actually and Stella Papa came by. Matt has a little scooter that he rides around. And he took my kids on scooter rides around the pond. They thought it was great. Ate ice cream. Stella raced my kids. She's pretty fast. Um, but anyway, we were going home. I had a great little fun Wednesday night. And uh, I was talking to the kids. I said, you know, guys, you know, we, we need to be grateful for, for nights like this. Like, it's not, it's not a given that we, we just feel so safe and we can have fun, and I was telling him about September 11th. So we went home, and we watched the attacks, you know, even Rainer. And he, of course, has no understanding of what's going on. The way he recounted what was happening to Paige um, was interesting. But anyway, John Kellison and Rihanna, they're five and seven. They, 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 they figured out what was going on. And uh, we watched it, and, and we went to bed that night, and, and um, Paige asked me. She said, I told her, I said, hey, I showed all the clips of September 11th to the kids. And she said, well, what, how did they respond? What was their response? And you know what their, their, their biggest response was? Uh, I was kind of surprised at this. Their biggest response was anger. I said it was anger. They were mad that this had happened. That they, they, they saw how evil it was. That they, they realized that all these innocent people had died. And you know why my kids responded to September 11th with anger? Because they're made in the image of God. And anyone with any moral sense, when you see evil like that, and when you see destruction like that, and we see innocent lives being taken like that, you should be angry. That is a right response to injustice. That is a right response to evil. And when you hear about countless women all across Atlanta being trafficked last night, you shouldn't respond by saying, eh, well, it just is what it is. No, if there's, if there's any moral fiber in you, there's any desire for justice in you, if you haven't totally become apathetic, 
you should hear these things and be angry. When you hear about theft, when you hear about violence, when you hear about corruption, the right response to these things, if there is any moral fiber in you at all, is anger. It should frustrate you. You should say with me and with God, this is not right. This shouldn't happen. And again, the reason that you believe that, the reason that you feel that way is that you and I have been made in the image of God who is a fountain of justice. And when he sees any evil or any injustice or any wrongdoing, his right, his righteous response to that is anger. His righteous justice is aimed at sin, is aimed at injustice. But of course that includes our sin and includes our injustice. And so at the very center of the gospel is propitiation. God, who is totally just, who will settle all injustice, was willing to put Jesus forward on our behalf. There's this great verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that explains this so well. It says this, for our sake, hear that, for your sake, because God loves you and he loves me so much for your sake, for my sake, <coughs> for our sake. God the Father made him, Jesus, God the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin. So Jesus, who was totally spotless, right? He, he had never sinned. He knew no sin. He always obeyed God's way and God's order and, and he always delighted in God's will. He had never felt guilt. He had never felt the disgust of sin like you and I do. Yet in this cosmic moment, when this cosmic moment called the cross happened, Jesus embodied sin. It's what we call the imputation of sin. That our sin was credited to Jesus. That Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. Our sin was imputed to him. He became the thing that he hated most. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. And this is an amazing thing to think about. Jesus, who was totally innocent. You know, my kids, I'm looking right here at little William Patton. William, stand up real quick. I love this kid right here. Okay, stand up. Stand, let, the, let the folks see you, William. You're a good looking boy. <laughs> he, he had no idea this is happening. I'm totally putting him on the spot right now. I'll give you a dollar later for this, William. <laughs> but you know what? My kids look up to William, and I'm glad they do. Because William's a good kid. He's got great parents. And um, this used to be easier. You start having kids, you get all soft. But, <laughs> but my kids look up to him. He's a great kid. He's an innocent kid. He's a pure kid. He's not totally innocent, I know. But there's goodness in his heart. There's purity about him. And my kids, same thing. I, yeah, my kids, they're certainly innocent. You can sit down now, William. Great job. Let's give, let's give William Patton a hand. But my kids, same thing. They're good kids. They're honorable kids. They, they, there's, there's, there's an excitement and purity about them. And, um, you know, whenever they do sin, whenever they do disobey, they hate for me to know about it, right? If, if they've messed up, they don't want Paige to tell me. And it's not so much just for fear of punishment, though I'm sure that's part of it. But the bigger part, I think, is they just don't want to disappoint me. They don't want our relationship to be divided by the fact that they've done something they shouldn't have done. The amazing thing 
about propitiation. The amazing thing about what I'm trying to explain to you here is this. When Jesus took on your sin and my sin, when Jesus went to the cross, he was far more innocent, far more pure than my children are. Far more innocent, far more pure than even William Patton. And yet, this, this pure and innocent lamb took on the worst thing you've ever done took on the most disgusting thought you've ever had, took on the vilest thing that you've ever imagined. And not just, he didn't just take on your sin, he took on the sin of the whole world. He took on the sin of everyone who would believe in him. He, he took on the sin of murderers. He took on the sin of thieves. He took on the sin of people who have heinous crimes. Jesus, in that moment, it was totally innocent, became sin on our behalf. And in the same way as my kids, when, when, they, when they disobey, when they sin against me, there is a divide and they hate it. Can you imagine when Jesus took on the whole sin of the world, there was a divide between him and the Father. He was forsaken by the Father because he took on our sin. And in those hours on the cross, Jesus, who had taken on the sin of the whole world, became the propitiation the sacrifice that both eased God's wrath against our sin and pleased God by his blood. You see, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Next passage, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That a righteousness that has been achieved by Christ apart from the law might be ours in Jesus. And this is justification. This is how we're justified, by God. You know, the, the reformer Martin Luther talked about this as the great exchange. And it's, it's an insanely great in exchange. Basically, what, what we're saying that we believe as Christians is that we, who have sinned, who deserve to be punished through faith in Jesus, who never sinned, who only deserves reward. What we're saying is that Jesus, on our behalf, because he loved us, took on our sin and was punished so that we could take on his righteousness and be rewarded. That's the great exchange. This is justification. You know, this week we're having our, our staff evaluations and all of our staff, we, we, got, we got everybody's files out. Now, these aren't real staff members' files. And I just want to say, everybody's doing great. Everybody's doing great. We got, you know, you get the file out, and you're doing, you know, looking over everybody's work for the whole year. Here's the amazing thing, is that, that Jesus basically exchanges files with us. This is what happens to you through faith in Christ. And when God looks at your file, despite everything you've done, it's as if he is seeing Jesus's file. It's as if he's seeing the righteousness of Christ. All he can see through faith in Jesus when he looks at your file is the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of his own son. We who deserve punishment receive a reward because Jesus who deserved a reward received punishment. And finally, I wanna look with you at the result of justification. You know, the amazing thing about all this is that God is doing it. 
I love the passage. God is both the just and the justifier. God is both. There's this uh, refrain that runs all throughout the Old Testament. If you've, read, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you'll notice that there's all these things that happen. There's this energy in the Old Testament, when you really start to understand it, that is screaming for the gospel. It is screaming for Jesus. And this, maybe, uh, maybe just as much as any other thing in the Old Testament is one of the examples of that. It, and you see, it's like a song that's sung. If the Old Testament was a movie, somebody would, you know, a creative director would um, kind of make the Old Testament movie, there would be a, a woman with a pretty voice that would come in and sing this song over and over and over again. This is, this is, this is what this is. And you can see it all the way through the Bible. It says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But, here's where the song turns, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And if you read that and if you hear that song, you have to ask yourself, how can this be? How can God be both? How can God by no means clear the guilty and at the same time be merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love? And then you read Romans 3. And you're like, ah, this is how. This is how God can be both, can both be the just and be the justifier of the one who believes. This is how God can both clear the guilty through Jesus and all, all, or, 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 both be merciful gracious and also not clear the guilty. It's through Jesus. I was having dinner with a Jewish friend not too long ago, and I said, don't you see how the Old Testament just screams with this messianic anticipation? Don't you see why people believe that Jesus is the Messiah? God is both the just and the justifier. And because of this, he is worthy of our worship. Your, your only response is, as we read in, in chapter 5 earlier, um, let us rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our only response to this is humility and worship, which is why Paul concludes, this is the last thing I'll say, which is why Paul concludes, then what becomes of our boasting? Verse 27, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For again, we hold that one is justified apart from the works of the law. The righteousness of God, the justice of the justification of God, it has been made manifest outside of your code. It is yours through faith, and it's so free. It's grace. It's freely given to all who believe. It's free grace for all who believe in Jesus. Which is why, hear this, which is why many of you won't believe, which is why many of you won't come to know God, which is why some of you won't know Christ, because you don't want free. You've done too much. You've been too faithful to the code. 
You, you've worked too hard. Some people out there, they need grace. They need this kind of grace. Needy people. Bad people. This is good news for them, but, but in your heart of hearts, you're saying, yeah, but I don't need this. I may need a little inspiration here and there, a little help here and there, but not this. Not this. Let me just finish up the parable that I, I read earlier. Remember the Pharisee. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes on all that I get. But then the story goes on. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that now by the power of your spirit, we would see and believe this. Father, I pray that now you would open our hearts and open our eyes to see that no human being will be justified according to the law, but that a righteousness apart from the law has been manifested and is available for all who have faith in Jesus. And so, Father, open our hearts and our eyes to this. Help us to see our desperate need for a Savior. Help us to quit clinging to our small and insignificant efforts toward justification and cling to Christ and to Christ alone. To believe, Father, that for our sake, because you loved us, made Jesus to be our sin. He willingly went before you with our sin. He became the propitiation with, with our sin so that in him we might actually be righteous. The righteousness of God for all who believe. So Father, I, I just pray that this morning by your kind grace that the coin would drop for many here that this doctrine of justification that is so central to the gospel would make sense. People would believe and that people would see the hope that they have in Jesus. And Father, I pray these things in, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678 678- 951-9041 or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.